something outside. What is that? This is Gunnar Monson. Welcome to our Occam's Razor episode. I'm really excited to talk about this with uh, my co-hosts today, which are Shane Corson and Julie Wrench. I want to invite everybody and welcome all the folks that have joined us in Monster Exclusive, our new membership opportunity. You can go to our website, www.monsterxradio.com, and click on the button to say Join Exclusive and Come on inside, and we got all kinds of new content in there that, that I think you're going to enjoy, everything from interviews with witnesses to uh, Sasquatch Island with Mr. Tom Seawood, Bigfoot Biometrics, and Bigfoot Field Reports, where we actually will taking you with us out into uh, our research and sharing what we find when we're out looking for Bigfoot. As I mentioned before, with me today are my co-hosts, Shane Hardcore Corson and Julie Wrench. How are you guys today? Good. And Julie, how are doing you? Good. Yeah. Thank you for having I, me I'm, on. I'm doing pretty good, Gunner. So, Julie, this this episode was actually kind of your baby, Occam's Razor. We talk about this subject and this the idea of applying this to Bigfoot research and how you know it's important to eliminate all other possibility before we put everything anything into the interesting bucket, other than a a footprint that you can vet really well or a class A sighting, it's really difficult to put anything in, determine that anything is actually Bigfoot. I mean, if you see a Bigfoot, obviously you saw what you saw and that's your experience. I mean, I I never personally have seen one. I know that Shane has. Other than that, this process of, of using Occam's razor, can you explain how we might, apply that to Bigfoot research? Well, yeah, certainly. Um, Let me start out by some people may not know what Occam's razor actually means because it's not anything, you know, people go around, well, you can't say that because of Occam's razor. (laughs) It's it's something that we use that we don't even really realize that we're using. Um, It's actually an ideal that was attributed to William of Occam. Uh, he, He was an English... Franciscan friar, scholastic philosopher, and theologian. Um, he was actually born in 1287, passed away in 1347. But but what a razor is in philosophy is a principle or rule of thumb that you need to shave off, that, therefore razor, something that might be unlikely explanation for a phenomena. William of Ockham is the person, they called him William of Ockham, then they called it Occam's Razor because he was the one that really pounded this in his philosophy. 
the law of parsimony is also what it's referred to as a problem-solving principle that when presented with competing hypothetical answers to a problem, one should select the one that makes the fewest assumptions. So with that being said, a lot of times, let's say, for example, if we see a tree that's got some broken branches on it, a lot of people take pictures of it and post it and say, hey, you know, Bigfoot broke these tree branches. When, in fact, we we should always say, well, you know, maybe uh, someone else did it or maybe the snow did it or, you know, there's a thousand other reasons why it could be broken. We always have to go through what those possibilities could be before we make claims. And I think that that is something fiercely lacking in the um, investigation of Bigfoot. Say what? But but there is a rush to judgment. I always say that that the burden of proof is on on us as Bigfoot researchers. We're we're going out and telling people that we think that all these stories about you know a hairy, for lack of a better term, gorilla running around the United States and other parts of the world that has has remained undetected or unproven, you know, all the way up until 2018, the burden of proof is on us. I mean, that's right. It it isn't for other people to, you know, and so running to Facebook and posting a picture of broken trees or going home and taking pictures of the forest and going home and finding shadows that look like faces doesn't really cut it. It isn't going to cut it with, you know, and, and I, in no way do I mean to diminish. If somebody had an experience where there's had some context of of a, an encounter where they they had a bigfoot cross the road in front of them into this this grove of trees and they took pictures and then they see, you know, they can produce something that because you it the task of of actually catching a I, I like to call it glamour shot picture of a bigfoot of of any animal is is grossly underestimated about the difficulty of the task. And it, you're usually not, you know, prepared, unless you're out there, like, shooting wildlife, I mean, with a camera. Right, right. The idea, you know, of getting a, a perfect picture is is not that easy. It isn't an easy task. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and, and part of the problem with, the research uh, nowadays is social media and just, uh, you know, everybody can be an instant overnight sensation or a star. But what I find that's common <laughs> is that their common sense is not so common. You know, people don't take the time to rationalize what they saw, what they heard, or, you know, what they encountered. And they kind of go into the easy, well, not even the easiest explanation. They go into the explanation that fits what they're doing, what they, they think they're seeing. Occam's razor, it's a tool. And just like any other tool, when it's used right, it works well. So what's really lacking is common sense and utilizing discernment correctly. You know, everybody's all, especially nowadays, all willing to jump at a picture and say, oh, that's a Sasquatch, oh, for sure. Or that audio, that sound I heard was a Sasquatch. There's no way it could be anything else. And there's just a lack of common sense. You know, common sense uh, or Occam's razor, you know, it's going to tell you, when you have two competing theories that make exactly the same 
you know, sort of prediction, the simpler one usually is the best explanation. Not always, but that usually is the case. Now, there, there are certain scenarios where that is not the case. You know, I think common sense really needs to play a, a bigger role going forward. Now, this is coming from a guy that knows Sasquatch exists. There's no doubt in my head. I have no doubt that it, Sasquatch exists. I don't know what Sasquatch is, but I do know that it exists. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit biased there. But having said that, I think predominantly most of the supposed evidence, especially the stuff online, on YouTube, on Facebook, is quite honestly a bunch of junk. And that's just based off of common sense. So you can look at it. I think Sasquatch is a rare entity, a rare thing that if everything you saw on Facebook and YouTube and social media and on the news was true, it would have been you know, proven a long time ago. I mean, that's just my thought. You know, Occam's razor, is, it, it is a tool. You know, and like I said, when used correctly, it, it works well. And it's something that I think should be in the back pocket of every researcher, investigator, enthusiast, and just individual that uh, likes, appreciates this subject and even thinks there's a chance, whether or not you've had an experience or not, that there's something out there. So um, that's just my initial two cents. Yeah, and I like what Gunnar said, too, about if you, t- if you see a unknown creature go run past you and go hide behind a tree and then you take a picture and then you, get it, you look at it when you get home and you see it peeking around the tree, well, then that could make sense because you actually saw it go behind the tree. Um, yeah, that's the context. The context right. of, and, and you of the keep encounter. In context. And I agree with Shane too that you know a lot of things that the pictures and the claims that are out there it's just it's mind blowing. Some days it really is. I don't know why it's got to. People want to make it so complicated. It's either they exist or they don't. You know, mm-hmm. they're not. There's not an in between where we can make up um, stories about how they flew in on spaceships or, you know, different things. I mean, we can't solve a mystery by adding more mystery to it. And keep it simple. Yeah, exactly. You know, and part of the issue, too, I think, with people always question, you know, why hasn't science got more involved? Well, first of all, science is not actively, as a whole, investigating this phenomenon. They're, they're not. You have certain individuals out there that have academic values and careers and, and involved in academia that are investigating or interested, but science as a whole has not jumped aboard. And so they do do this, guaranteed. Scientists do (laughs) pay attention to the news. They do pay attention to stuff on YouTube and these social media sites and the newspapers, and most of it is is junk. It's hoaxing. um, It's just not true. It's outlandish claims with no evidence to back it up, and they sit and scoff and laugh at it. Why not? Because it's just it's uh, hype, the story of the day, and they got to sit back and laugh. You know, it's mm-hmm. our job as investigators and researchers to to adhere to the scientific method, to to not jump to conclusions, to rule out like the null hypothesis, basically trying to reject, nullify, or disprove a commonly accepted fact, especially in the Bigfoot world where so much is commonly accepted. Commonly yeah, that's accepted. the BS. Yeah. yeah, that's the BS. And, and part of the reason we're doing Monstrex Radio because we're Bigfoot without the BS. Uh, we're getting past that veil of junk and getting to the nitty-gritty. And so science really has not jumped aboard, I think, as a whole, because, well, there's just they're not actively investigating it. And so it's our job to provide the best, most concrete pieces of evidence 
and then present it. Whether you know, it does, you know, whether that's uh, hair, you know, we're talking about physical things here, you know, hair tracks and whatnot. So uh, that's what our job is: is to bring that to the table in a scientific manner as best as we can as laymen, not as scientists. And there are some scientists involved and they're helping out there, but the, the vast majority of individuals that are act, actively investigating are just laymen. You know, they, they may have a specific background that has a something they're professional at, but we're, you know, at the best, we're just a bunch of laymen. And so our job is to really adhere to something they're going to pay attention to and not to put out junk and just, you know, hype these Bigfoot stories and stuff. So it's very important as an investigator and a researcher to adhere to that scientific method and to really put the best, you know, your best foot forward going into this stuff and providing that evidence in a scientific matter so that it'll be appreciated and looked at a little more seriously instead of, you know, these shock and awe stories and shock and awe pictures that are uh, just not good yeah. enough. They're just not good enough. Or red right. circle pictures. I mean, the stuff, when you're studying, studying a topic like Bigfoot, which is believed to be by the vast majority of people to be a legend and, and something that really doesn't exist. And every news story about Bigfoot is skewed towards funny or, you know, mockery. The, the challenge is to, to go out and actually present actual evidence, vet that evidence in a, a reasoned and, and scientific way and not, run to Facebook with it with a picture of bushes with a bunch of red circles in them that you, you know, see 15 Bigfoot. There's this interesting thing because I, I was talking to somebody about a witness who had multiple, big, has claimed to have big, multiple Bigfoot encounters. You know, in a in a lifespan of 60, 80 years and you spend a, a good party, it's not unfathomable to me that somebody could have multiple Bigfoot experiences out in the woods and maybe even have multiple sightings. I mean, that's, you know, that'd be like being struck by lightning multiple times. But if you have an area that you frequent and you know, you know, you've had previous experiences and or a sighting and you go back there religiously, I mean, that's, you could end up with uh, multiple sightings. There's that, you know, you got, that end of the spectrum to people that have a Bigfoot encounter every time that they go out into the woods, um, right. and anywhere that they go out into the woods, not just like I go back, you know, to this Creek where I've had found footprints and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's where they go out and, and big and commune with Bigfoot every time that they go out into the woods. That to me is a stretch <laughs> and isn't, isn't animalistic behavior. I mean, isn't normal animal behavior that they would, you know, just go out and, and Bigfoot would be there. Any more than if I go out to the woods that I'm going to run into the same deer in the same location any time that I go out there. Um, in general vicinity, there is a range of, of area for any animal. You know, no animal just wanders aimlessly from any point in the forest. There is a range. So if you know where, that's, I mean, that's what hunters do. When they go out and they they are looking for whatever they're they're trying to hunt, they'll go out into an area and they'll they'll be familiar with which you know what elk are in a particular area, what deer are in a particular area. I'm pretty sure that Bigfoot obviously has a range. They the ones that are up in Washington don't end up in Florida. <laughs> it just wouldn't make any sense. There'd be no 
there'd be no scientific basis for that. They're not humans, so they don't travel by plane or. But anyway, the you know the idea that that uh, we again it comes back to burden of proof. Anytime that mm-hmm. we're not only fighting the idea that that uh, Bigfoot doesn't exist to the we're fighting the idea that it anytime that it's it's in the news, it's promoted as tabloid. And then on top of that, we've had you know the most uh, sensational Bigfoot stories in the last ten years have been hoaxes that you know that somebody shot a Bigfoot and put it in the freezer. Somebody you know that somebody had a Bigfoot and is taking it around, showing it to people. Those kind of things are are what what end up in the news. Um, mm-hmm. Actual Bigfoot research doesn't end up in the news. The Olympic projects very methodical and measured approach to the nest site is not is not newsworthy in the terms of where it is at this point because you know it honestly it could i'm sure it would make a good news story but that isn't what the, the olympic project's approach to the the subject is it's actually taking it in a scientific manner and reviewing this this as a scientific project or a research project that takes place over time which you know as a a pragmatic person I like just makes my heart swell for the Olympic project <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because you just don't see that in big footing. Nobody takes it. And I think a lot of this running and sharing pictures and it's, it's laziness, you know, it's people like they don't really want to put in the time that it takes to do the, the scientific work. It's amazing to me because I watched the, the Jane Goodall documentary a while back. I actually went to the theater to watch it. It was awesome. I mean, you can actually go watch it online now. So, uh, But that her project didn't take, like, you know, a day. She didn't go out in the woods and, huh? and get all gather all the information about chimpanzees that she did in a day. That, that was a, what started out as that turned into a lifelong – she was out there, like, what, 20 years off and on? Yeah that she was, and, you know, her subordinates, her her group that was studying was out there when she wasn't there. I mean, that's what it takes. It actually takes time to go out into an area and and study something. And, and they already knew chimpanzees existed. They were studying, but they discovered behaviors that they didn't know existed. Yeah. Now, now we're talking about, you know, something that, that the vast majority of, of the public thinks is a joke. Or, you know, that's – so what do you guys think? Well, yeah, I can chime in real quick. You know, the late great and some of the uh, that I look up to hugely that has shaped my approach to the Sasquatch phenomena, the great John Bendernagel who passed away recently, you know, he, uh, he wanted to move Bigfoot from taboo into mainstream science. And he, he always said that science has looked at this taboo and uh, I, there's been huge stride that, uh, well, partially because of people like John and uh, uh, John Mindzinski and Jeff Meldrum have made, uh, and you know Grover Krantz, a lot of these guys that have made going forward. Uh, but science still looks at this subject taboo, and there's a lot of reasons for that. The, the evidence has not been strong enough. It's not been vetted enough. It's crazy to me that these individuals, as you were talking about a, a minute ago, Gunner, that have had, you know, and maybe they have had two, three encounters or sightings, but they're willing to jump on uh, Facebook or Twitter 
or Instagram or anything and say, you know, talk about this stuff, and yet they don't have much to back up about it, and they don't care to. But yet they're trying to say that they're avid researchers or investigators, and they're trying to get, you know, I don't know what their ultimate goal is, but I find it frustrating because, you know, I had an encounter in 2011. I had a sighting and, and a two-night experience with some friends. I've tried to replicate that in the same location for years. And the best I've come up with, I, I've never had another sighting. I've had some odd happenings. I've had some very interesting audio. I've had a lot of odd occurrences, but I've never had that sighting. And, and, and so I've been for years trying to replicate that and dissect that particular occurrence that really launched me from being, well, well, maybe they exist, to they do exist, into, you know, what are they and how do they avoid man and this and that. And so it, it, it is a tedious process. It's a, it's a very enjoyable one, but one that I don't think most individuals nowadays take serious, take very serious. I think they're more in it for the shock and awe and, and the likes, the publicity and whatever. I mean, I don't care what people say. There's not much money to be made off of Bigfoot. There really is not. And so, you know, that you can almost throw out the window. Yeah, you could probably make a buck or two. But I think nowadays... Occam's razor doesn't play a part. There's not. They're not looking for. They're looking for the easiest answer in their head, rather than you know, which is you know, oh, it's got to be Bigfoot, rather than well, it could have been something else. And that doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help the subject out. It doesn't make science take it serious. No, you're absolutely right. I I want to give Julie a chance to uh, chime in here because I like what what you're saying, Shane. Is there are most most real Bigfoot research happens in, in off of social media. Happen, it isn't something that you see online. And, and a lot of the reason that I feel that, that science isn't more open to the is because of, of Bigfooters themselves. A lot of that is as we've shot ourselves in the foot collectively as a group because that is good scientific method hasn't been applied to a lot of, of what's considered Bigfoot research. There's people out there, you know, just just out there to, gr- to garner personal attention, and that really doesn't serve the subject itself, self-serving. Julie, what do you think? Chime on in here. Yeah, well, going back to the actual Occam's razor, the, the law of parsimony, if you will, it, you really can't substitute it for logic or scientific methods or insight into, you know, whatever it is that your phenomena is, you still have to have some scientific method in there to come to the conclusion, you know, when when there is scientific evidence available, to come to the conclusion that maybe this tree wasn't broke by Sasquatch, because that's when you can start doing things like, well, let me look back and see if there was a, a heavy snowstorm or an ice storm or a windstorm, you know, you, there is some scientific method involved in that as well. It's not just a simpler uh, solution all the time. It, it, a lot of times scientific method goes along with this, but, it, it, you know, you don't want to start out with the most unusual, bizarre answers and go backwards from there. I mean, I've heard so many stories, I mean, like Bigfoot braids, horses' manes and, and all this stuff. I mean, you got to think about that for a minute. What horse is just going to stand around and let an apex predator braid its little mane? I mean, come on. Yeah, absolutely, Julie. I absolutely agree with you there. You know, it's, it's the gumption that researchers, especially nowadays, you know, we're not talking about the old days where 
nothing was taken at face value. Nowadays, people assume too much because based off of other people's what they're putting out there. Like you brought up a great point about breaks, tree breaks. You know, I, I do. I found some very interesting tree breaks over the years, and and quite honestly, I can maybe count how many, maybe three or four that were very odd to me. Now, I didn't see a Sasquatch come up and, and break it or snap it or twist it, but given my knowledge of the weather phenomena of other animals, you know, uh, there was, I think I mentioned this on the show before, I was up at uh, Mount St. Helens near Ape Canyon investigating the um, 1924 Fred Beckman Ape Canyon attack, and I came across this particular tree. Uh, it was a sapling about, so oh, seven feet tall, and the top of it was snapped off. I mean, it was very odd to me at the time. It had been snapped off. I mean, it, all by itself. I thought, that's really weird. And so instead of, uh, you know, I took a couple of pictures, but I wanted to investigate it further. So I, I, I didn't see any scrape marks on it. To me, it looked like something had grabbed it and snapped it. When I started looking around the base, researching a little bit further, I noticed I could see hoof marks, obviously around this tree. And what I took from that was I didn't see any large impressions of like a, a something bipedal, like a Sasquatch or a human there. What I saw was hoof marks. Obviously, an elk had come by and was either rubbing up against a tree or it got its antlers caught on and snapped it. But your average, I think the majority of people out there, uh, well, that are into Sasquatch, most people just walk by and go, oh, whatever. You know, as a Sasquatch researcher, most individuals will say, oh, well, that had to be Sasquatch. You know, what else would snap a tree like that? That's a marker. And they'll start looking at the direction it's pointing in. That particular branch was pointing north. But it was obvious that it was an elk that had done that for whatever reason, either got his antlers caught on it or what was rubbing up against it. And so uh, it was, it was explainable, you know, and I, you know, obviously went for the um, most common. Or, Occam's razor. Yeah, Occam's <laughs> razor. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, no. it is a tool. It's not taking something at face value. It's actually looking into a little bit further and ruling in or ruling out things. You know, I'm not trying, you know, the null hypothesis that the Olin Project uses, you know, trying to disprove that Sasquatch is there, and then when whatever you're left with, well, maybe, maybe by trying to disprove it and disprove everything else, you'll come to a conclusion that, well, you know, may, maybe <laughs> it was a Sasquatch that did that. But there's lots and lots of cases of this stuff going on especially in the last 20 years where people just take things at face value and go off other people's work, you know, oh, well, Sasquatch does this and Sasquatch does that. Well, how, how do you know that? I mean, we don't. You know, I can go off of my 2011 counter and look at some of the facts behind that, you know, the tree knocking that I heard. What I assume is tree knocking because I didn't see a Sasquatch hit a tree, but given the whole context of what transpired, I can assume that it was probably Sasquatch either beating a tree or doing something of that nature, and then um, having a rock thrown into camp, which was thrown, maybe that Sasquatch was hitting the tree with that rock and then threw the rock into camp. Those, to me, are logical, without having seen anything up until that point, those are logical things to, to think about. And then having seen a Sasquatch uh, the second night myself, I can, you know, rule out a lot of things and rule in some stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of approach and a matter of, it's not a matter. It's not a matter of wanting to believe. It's a matter of distinguishing fact from fiction and ruling things in and out. And I think Occam Razor is a perfect tool. You know, it has its flaws because I think a lot of times things aren't as simple as we like to make them. But sometimes they are, and you got to get down to the simple things before you can get to the more complex things. 
then that's where the research really takes place. It's when you're willing to put your encounter, your, your personal thoughts aside and look at the facts and stick to the facts. Uh, that's where the research really takes place, and that's where tools, mental tools like Oxen Razor and the Null Hypothesis come into play. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think what, your encounter up in the Mountain National Forest, to me, is one of those that is a really good example of where you, where you ha- actually have some some corroborating evidence. You know, so many times people run to Facebook with a picture of a shadow in, in the woods and don't even provide the, the context of why they're, they're sharing this. I mean, I, Andy, I can go into my backyard and take pictures of the woods behind me, and if I spend enough time looking, I can find something that looks like a face staring at me. All evidence requires context. The amount of corroborating evidence in your personal encounter, Shane, is one of those things that is that compels me to, to think that we have we're dealing with a biological entity that Bigfoot is real. I haven't had that you know, I I know you've heard me say a confirmation experience where I've seen one and but I'm about ninety nine point seven percent sure that we're dealing with a biological entity. You know, that there's actually a Bigfoot out there that, that just we have not been able to to document to the satisfaction of the public and of, of science. When you have somebody who has, you know, when you take people that I refer to them as skoptics, folks that just disregard anything because all anecdotal encounters are, are you can't, you have to discount all anecdotal stories. You have to discount all reports of tracks and and hair and all the to dismiss the to arrive at a conclusion that Bigfoot doesn't exist. And and that is one of the things that when a skoptic or someone who just is curious about the subject or wants to, you know, get my dander up a little bit approaches me and says, Hey, come on, I've been in the woods my whole life. I've never seen Bigfoot where's and you know you know the first thing that people are always gonna lead with is where's why how, how come we don't have any a body and that my counter to that first of all i I never take the position that i I have the responsibility to prove bigfoot exists to anybody you know if you want to go out if you want to sit in on your couch and and watch t v and say that bigfoot doesn't exist, that's fine with me I don't care um the my, but my counter to that is if one piece of, of evidence, one anecdotal encounter story, one footprint, one hair hair sample, one DNA sample, whatever, and if any of those are are not misidentified or a fabrication, then we're dealing with with a real animal. That's what, I mean. That's always fun because usually I've had several uh, conversations with people where they they start out with you know well I've been in my woods the woods my whole life and I said well have you looked at what actually evidence there is for Bigfoot I said and I'll 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 give that to them and and I've had people turn around and like I really want to go out Bigfooting with you it's okay it's mm-hmm. like that it, it's funny because they haven't most people really haven't given a thought to the subject at all and then on the other hand you've got you know you've got people that consider themselves researchers that that don't put in the discipline to vet whatever they consider they they collect as quote unquote evidence or you got people that are strictly in it that, and their attention excuse my language whores their attention whores they go out they're doing it 
strictly to have people give them likes on in uh, YouTube or or whatever. They're you know they're and it and it makes the the actual Bigfoot research makes it more difficult. I have a huge appreciation for those those folks that have gone to college and have a scientific degree and their their careers are science based that have put their necks out to uh, express their interest in in the subject. Um, you know, your Dr. Bendernagels, your Dr. Meldrums, you know, even uh, Dr. Disatel, who who has maintains a skeptical uh, approach or a skeptical view of the subject of Bigfoot, but still, I believe, is open to the possibility. Those folks, you know, and, and there's others that I didn't mention, those folks have, there's there's a degree of of uh, sacrifice in their their careers. I think that takes place when they are public about their uh, even being open to the subject. Let alone those that are have a real passion for the pursuit of actual evidence of the subject. Love, love Dr. Bender Nagel to death. You know, Dr. Meldrum is very pragmatic. Has a brings a lot to the Bigfoot. Uh, subject in terms of being an expert in foot morphology. No, it and and it's interesting to have because I actually had a, a conversation with Dr. Meldrum a, a while back because he was at the uh, Olympic project when we were having one of the public expeditions and talking to him and he, you know, he he actually it, it actually has cost him in his career uh, to be public in in uh, supporting. Or, ha- or actually pursuing the subject of Bigfoot. Right, and I, I think it's, he, he has, really has brought a lot to the table with some of his casts that have the dermal ridges in them. You know, that's the kind of evidence that, <laughs> what makes dermal ridges? You know, it's not a, a wooden cast that somebody prints into the ground. So, you know, he's really studied up that a lot. And thanks to him, we now understand that, you know, we can use things like that for evidence. You know, we don't know what left it, but we know that something that has dermal ridges that has like a 14, 15 foot or inch foot made this impression. So I'm really glad that he did take the time to do all that. But he's, he's fighting an uphill battle, you know, because, like you said, Mainstream science does not, they just, they poo-poo at it. And I don't know, how, you know, how much longer it's going to take. I'm hoping something soon happens that at least brings the scientific community into the realm and, and want to get involved and in, in being out there and invest some money in, in research and investigation. Yeah, you nailed on the head there, Julie. You know, it does take money. It does take your average researcher, I mean, average researcher is a weekend warrior, you know, because they have day jobs and everything else, but it's going to take money and time. You know, look at what Jane Goodall managed to do with uh, her experience in research with chimps as a layman, a laywoman at the time, you know, and so it's going to take money and, and, and whatnot, you know. I mean, and part of the problem I see uh, nowadays, I mean, there there are no gov- governing bodies or accredited institutions for investigators and researchers. So people can put out basically something as fact as they see it, 
and a lot of the public jumps with it. You know, you get the both sides. You get the people that laugh at them, you get the people that go, oh, yeah. And so things kind of get muddled there because there is no there is no governing body to, to uh, say, uh, hey, uh, or, or, you know, say, hey, that's, that's false or that's, uh, you know, that's not what you think it is. Or give cryptozoology a certificate of, of schooling, you know, a, a degree. This is a, uh, you know, it's, it's very much, it's not a profession. It's not a professional thing. And so that's a huge issue, I think, with what, where the research is at now. You know, science does at some point, I think. I think if they actually said, hey, and it probably won't happen in this, this fashion, but they said, hey, let's, uh, let's look at this seriously. Let's spend some money, get the grants, and spend the time in the field in some hot spots or areas uh, that Sasquatch could exist. I think then you could get some answers. Now, granted, you know, I'm, I'm out in the field a lot. I'm out in the field uh, more than most, I think. Based, I mean, it's half the reason I moved to Washington so that I could do this where I live now, so I can get to some of these areas and and do as much as I humanly po- can possibly do. And there's other, I'm not showboating here. There's other researchers out there that are retired that that have the money or the time to do that, and they're doing that. It's really about, at the end of the day, coming down, coming down, and really doing the research uh, effectively and being very effective at what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, there are individuals out there, and it's, you know, like the Olympic Project, like what we're doing with the Atomic Forest Group, like uh, NOAC out in Texas and what uh, they're doing in California. There's, there's certain groups that are doing that, but as a whole, you know, there's no governing body. So it's, it's really left up to these individuals, and science has not yet as a whole looked at some of the really compelling things, I think, that have really been vetted that uh, I think really point to the existence of Sasquatch. And that's a shame, but that's part of our uh, own undoing as, as uh, laymen and, and field researchers as we label ourselves. That's part of our own doing. But I think there will come a day uh, where, where it will be undeniable. Uh, you know, and and that's, that's what I'm working on. That's what we're working on. That's what a lot of uh, really solid individuals and some science-based individuals are working on building up that library of factual, researched, vetted pieces of evidence. Uh, we have tons of anecdotal stories. Uh, I mean, to me right there screams, hey, look, science, look at this seriously. They look at at these as, you know, uh, misidentification and blah, blah, blah. And so we really got to look at vetting our, our uh, physical evidence. I mean, that's where it lies. It's not in these stories. It's not in the encounters. It really lies in the physical evidence, the tracks, the hair, the DNA, possible nests. That's where, when, when you come across something like that, you got to do your damnedest to really document every single detail and compile that and compile it and then analytically look at that and, and see if there's a, a correlation. And, and that's where science really will start to pay attention. That's why I, I, I talk about Squatch Metrics all the time. It's something I really appreciate with Squatch Metrics you can find on Facebook. Individual that is just, you know, he's not an active field researcher, but he's looking and he's taking the numbers. He's taking everything into and in, in compiling them and looking at what the numbers scream. And they scream things, you know, yeah. times of year moon phase, something I know that uh, he'll be posting here shortly, Squatch Metrics will be posting here shortly, is something to do with um, the fish uh, and, and the, the fish runs, like salmon runs. There's a huge correlation there, something that science can actually look at, maybe uh, actually 
look at and, and take something from uh, as I am. Uh, they may be able to take it further than myself. But there will come a time, I think, uh, we're building towards that. It's really, it's really about sticking to the facts and really trying to uh, better ourselves as researchers and trying to uh, envelop science into what we do rather than just, there's a track, here's a picture, I casted it, boom, there you go, Sasquatch exists. That's not going to cut it. <laughs> no, if, that, if that was the case, you know, we've got a million of those. Well, this comes down to physical evidence and what what can be actually proven, as you said, Shane. I mean, that's in, in real science, real uh, progress in this subject is slow. Uh, again, I, I will go back to the, the NEST project with the, the OP, the Olympic project. It, it isn't, you know, it would have been, the really easy thing would, to do would have been for Derek Randall's to run to Facebook and, and show these pictures and say, we have Bigfoot nests. You know, right. what else, especially when he went home and, and did a little bit of research and found that these nests on the ground most closely resembled those of gorillas. Um, I mean, the excitement itself of, of having that, that correlation, the discipline that it took for Derek to not do that just shows you where he's coming from. You know, that he's actually coming from a place of, well, we need to have, there's actually a process here that we have to go through before, you know, we have, uh, say this has anything to do with Bigfoot. There are, you know, most most people, 99.9999% of the, the general public is not even aware of that this project is going on. And that there's some exciting things coming up you know, as we move forward with, with that project is what the results might be, what those, those uh, that scientific project, and it has been dealt with in a uh, scientific way. You, you actually go, don't go into an area and, and make a declaration as soon as you find something and you, you don't have an easy explanation for it. Right. You know, and that, what they you, did was, they started with, well, what what could it not be? What type of animal does not make a nest like this that lives in this area? You know, so ruling things out. Once again, it's always ruling things out and and getting mm-hmm. to. I mean, when you when you're running out of answers for what could create this nest, then it kind of points to certain things that you really have to consider. Something made it that had two hands. That's my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And so at the end of the day, you know, you have to say, hey, you know, I could scream, hey, Sasquatch exists. I could scream that and I could say, hey, it's really obvious that Sasquatch exists. How come you guys can't see that? But I'll take a quote from from Isaac Asimov. He said, "It it is the obvious, which is so difficult to see most of the time, People say it's a, it's as plain as the nose on your face, but how much of the nose on your face can you see unless someone holds up a mirror up to you? And that's so true. It's my job as a researcher. I can say, hey, Sasquatch exists. And they say, well, you know, maybe or no. It's my job to show them that mirror to say, hey, here is the evidence. You know, look at it a little bit closer. You know, look at it because you can't see the whole picture unless uh, – because you're not actively researching it. Science isn't actively researching this. 
Most individuals in the United States, around the world, are not actively researching this. It's a handful of people. You know, we, we, we think there's all these people. No, it's a handful of people, and there's only an even smaller number doing it effectively. So it's our job to, to show this, but it's our job to show it, show individuals in science in an effective manner. Once it's vetted and once, you know, we, we're left with nothing else, but, hey, this, this is screaming something interesting here. It, we're not, it's not this. It's not that. What are your thoughts? Because we have our thoughts and ideas. Now it's your turn to look at what we're presenting and, and vet that through science. Uh, you know, we're getting to that point, and it's just a matter of time, but it really is about doing things effectively and none of this shock and awe stuff. You know, there's, I, I mean, there's plenty of things that transpire behind the scenes. There's plenty of things that we come across that we see that are very interesting. I think all of us combined here have had many an interesting thing happen or we've seen some interesting things and come across some interesting things. It's still not good enough. It needs to go through the process of, uh, of vetting out what it is and what it's not, using Occam's razor, using the null hypothesis. And so it's really at the end of the day, once again, about vetting that stuff and bringing the best forward before you, you just throw it out there. Don't throw, throw it out there. Like we bring up the nest site all the time, something uh, I've worked on for a number of years now. I'm very, I'm very happy about how we approach this and how we've vetted it and how we've moved forward with this. I don't know what the end result will be, but I know for a fact that I've done my best to keep it within the realm of reasonability and not jump to conclusions. You know, I have my, my ideas, but it's not, uh, it's, none of that is a fact. I can't prove that, but I have my ideas. But what, I, what we have done collectively as an organization with the Online Project have, have vetted and researched as much as humanly possible, and we have included science and scientists to the point where I'm, I'm pretty comfy as to where we're at now, and I'm very happy with our approach and where this is going. Where that goes, I don't know, but we've done as much as we can on our end like I said, uh, I bring up NOLAC out of Texas, the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. They do a fantastic job down there vetting their evidence and really combining science. The Bluff Creek Project is another group out in the West Coast with us out in California that does a great job using trail cameras and not right. jumping conclusions and ruling in and ruling out things. There, and there's other groups out there. I'm, you know, I'm only listing a few here, so don't be offended if you're listening and you don't hear your name. Uh, I pre trust me, I pay attention, I appreciate everybody's work because it is collective this isn't a one-man show it's a collective effort but collectively i only really appreciate those that i think are really going the extra mile rather than screaming sasquatch yeah. yeah due diligence yeah they're going through the process of due diligence they're taking the time that it takes it actually takes to it's really easy i could go out in the woods tomorrow and and take my video camera and and film a bunch of crap and and run the Facebook and then, or run the YouTube and post it and say, oh, there was Bigfoot in this video. Look at all, you know, and that, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything. It's the effort that it actually takes and it actually degrades or, or diminishes the effort of those that uh, actually are out there doing what it takes to add credence to the subject, to build on what, you know, we talk about building on the shoulders of giants, those that have gone before that dedicate their lives to, doc, to Dr. John Bittenagel, to Dr. Grover Krantz, you know, those folks that, that have put in dedicated their not only their professional reputations, but uh, portions of their lives to the subject matter. And it didn't get come to conclusion, well, you know, 
during their lifetime. So the uh, there is a serious obligation that I feel, and I know Shane and Julie, you guys feel that that we are, you know, it, we have an obligation to do this in a way that that respects the work of the people that have have gone before us. Um, we would not be you know where we are now without that. Um, I when you think about it. It, it gets a little frustrating when there's people that 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 disrespect the work of the the real work that's been done in the past just just for the idea that you know to get people to to follow them on on uh, YouTube or whatever. I mean for for the the kudos on social media. So if if you're out there and you're you're seeing this evidence, quote unquote, and I got big quotes with my fingers this time, yeah. you know, quote unquote evidence. Uh, pay it. Look, look at it closely, and do your own vetting. If if people are not vetting the evidence that that uh, they present to you, don't. You know that is not science. That's that's bullshit. Excuse my. I'll use the full phrase uh, uh-huh. <laughs> this time. But don't take the time to don't take things at face value. Go out and and do a little bit of research about who's actually doing real work and people that just throw up crap and see what sticks to the wall. It's frustrating to people that that are are doing it in the in the manner that actually takes a lot of time. We're we're getting it's, close it's actually to the, the end of the show. If let's let's go around real quick. Shane, what do you what do you got in conclusion? Well here's the thing, you know, I think to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, you know, I think a lot of times science is always looking for the easy answer. And I think that's a bit of a fallacy. And to quote from Alfred North Whitehead, he was a mathematician and philosopher, he said this, the aim of science is to seek the simplest explanation of complex facts. We are apt to fall into the error of thinking that the facts are simple because simplicity is the goal of our quest. The guiding motto in the life of every natural philosopher should be, seek simplicity and distrust it. And I think that sums up what I'm doing is, and what science should be doing is, yes, uh, there are usually is an easy answer for most things. Uh, when it comes to Bigfoot research, I would say nine tenths out of ten, uh, you're probably not dealing with a Sasquatch unless you've had a direct sighting and know it. Uh, you're probably dealing with something more known, and that's the simplicity of it. Now, reality is reality. You see what you see. You know, the best, best explanation for reality is what really is there. And so, I think science needs to maybe uh, look at this, you know, maybe it's not so simple. Uh, maybe they need to look, maybe it's a little bit more complex than, I mean, look, they're making discoveries every day. They're finding new fossils that reshape their thought process. I mean, literally in the last, what, five years, the scientific mm-hmm. world has been rocked constantly, every year, <laughs> almost every month, they're being rocked and changing their hypothesis or what they consider to be factual. And so there comes a time when, when they're, okay, you need to look at this and go, hey, maybe it's not as concrete as I thought it was, and maybe there's more facts to this. Maybe there's something I should be looking at differently. Maybe I should vet this stuff. And so that's my goal going forward, you know, is that science does vet some of the stuff. The more serious physical evidence out there, the, some of these really compelling encounters, yeah, I think there's a there's a story to be told there. I think there's some science behind it, and I definitely know that Sasquatch is out there. And so it's my goal through Monster X Radio, through working with the Olympic Project, Tillamook Forest Group, individuals from around the country, and in some cases around the world, both science and laymen uh, alike, uh, is to perpetuate 
to the public and science that we are, uh, this is a serious subject matter to be taken seriously, and it, there, it's more complex uh, than what meets the eye. And that's, you know, that's just my, my thought there. Julie, what, well, you know, I totally Julie, agree with what's your thoughts? that. And I think that the, the bottom line from all of us as related to Occam's razor is extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. Well, and that's the case. Yeah, you got to go. If you're going to claim something as fantastic as a giant bipedal primate running around, you know, in this day and age, you're going to have to back it up with some evidence. And there's folks that right. that that have had that confirmation experience that the answer is already they already mm-hmm. have the answer. And then there's the the vast majority of the rest of us that that are still looking for that answer. Thank you to our my co-host Shane Corson and Julie Wrench today for for joining on me on this episode of Occam's Razor Monster X Radio. I hope everybody has had the opportunity to go check out Monster Exclusive on our website www.monsterxradio.com. I appreciate uh, everybody that's that's joined us there already, and we look forward to seeing you on the other side of the doorway there. Until then. Go out and actually give it some thought about what you're doing when you're out there looking, when you're quote-unquote bigfooting or quote-unquote squatching, that what you're doing um, reflects the rest of the community and and take the time to do it the right way. Thank you for everybody from everybody here at Monsters Radio. Willie, we'll have a next new episode for you next week. We'll talk to you soon. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.